Hey everybody, this is Dan with Blurb, and I'm in Los Angeles today with, uh, wow, someone who's been a friend now for quite a while, a photographer named Frank Jackson, and uh, was getting ready to do this interview, but right before we did the interview, he started telling me a story, because on the bed across from me right here is I, I have my Leicas, and uh, he mentioned a Leica M4P camera, and I said, hey, that was the first Leica I had, and he said, well, the first Leica I had was, and he started telling a story, and I said, wait. That's the story I want to hear to start out this whole thing before we even talk about him. So let's hear it. All right. Um, I got a phone call from my sister in 1985, and uh, they called me Jack because there's three three Franks. So she said, Jack. I said, what? She said, Ma's in a hospital and Lana in a coma. And I was like, what? And uh, <laughs> she said, will you come? And the first thing I said was no because... She'd also informed me that the doctor said they didn't think she was going to be coming back. And I said, I don't want to come because I didn't haven't seen Ma for a year. And the last memory of her, I don't want to be her. I don't want to see her in a hospital bed. And she goes, she got quiet. She waited. And she said, will you come for me? And I said, absolutely. So I got on a plane. I packed one roll of film of the two cameras I had and three lenses. I took one film body. Uh, and a 50 millimeter lens, a pair of tight white briefs, and got a plane ticket. And I put my sorry butt on a plane to Atlanta, where my mother was. And uh, we got there, went to the hospital, and it was, you know, the 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 doctors in the ICU are the are the new guys, and you can tell this guy's been talking to people and dealing with families who they know. He knows that people aren't coming back. And a lot of people, they don't want to, they don't want to know that. They want to know the doctors are going to touch them and get up and tap dance out of there. But the thing about me and my sister, we've always been reasonable. And my sister is also a uh, registered nurse. And so I just, I started, I pulled the camera out and started to snap pictures of the doctor. And uh, I just said, hey, man, it's okay. It's not your fault. And I said, uh, we believe you. I shot one roll of film and made one print. Which is sitting right here. And I have a print of my aunts in a waiting room with the, the Leica. The, the thing about a Leica is that there's so little between you and the picture that it's almost like just a nice pencil and a great drawing pad, and you just, you just shoot. And I'll expand on that. I... I shoot digitally, and I still process film. And I'm working very hard to push keeping your photography organic. You know, uh, treat your digital camera. I tell people, treat your digital camera like a film camera. Don't look at the back. Don't, don't rush your pictures out. Shoot them. Stare at them when you get them on the computer, like you would a proof sheet. Um, do proper exposure so you're not trying to fix what you didn't do before. Hallelujah. And, and you know, it's photography's not in a science. But let's back up a little bit. Yeah. So that camera you bought when you got on the plane to go to Atlanta, you were 19 years old. No, no. I was 19 when I bought my first Leica. It was an M5 in New York City. And that was 10 years before. Okay, so around 19 was the time you got into photography. Or oh, 16. 16. 16. 16. Why? Because I couldn't draw. Uh, I realized that I sucked at drawing and that anything you're good at, 
you are born with a God-given talent or some kind of somebody touches you and you have a talent and maybe you get lucky enough to discover it and maybe you have enough strength to pursue it on your own or you have help. And it's like singing in the shower. Uh, you're not good unless your friends think you're good. <laughs> you know? But, but, yeah. but I'm, going to, uh, I'm going to comment on your uh, questionable analysis, okay. to, to be polite, <laughs> because I have seen your drawings, and that's one of the things that I wanted to talk about, okay. was because I was over here, I don't know, a year ago, and as I was leaving, you casually tossed this thing in front of me that was a book of black on black, basically yeah, ink on there. paper illustration yeah, yeah. of these little, what looked, appeared to be simple sketches, but I know they're not simple sketches because I've tried to draw those things myself <laughs> and I can't do it. So you actually had, had that, but you at the time you didn't feel you were good enough and photography was something that was accessible to you yeah. and you started shooting. And the thing is, you know, you, you fit kind of an odd category of photographer to me because... I'm in your room right now where you're living, and it's a, it's a relatively small room, but the amount of what I would call culture and also craftsmanship that's packed into this room is pretty remarkable. So since I've been in here, we've looked at ink stamps, embossers, corner cutters. You've showed me print after print after print after print. There's the, the work that you create is, is whimsical in a way. It's yes. very unique and different. Um, but tell me about this, this craftsmanship, and it goes back to, I think, of what you were just talking about with your digital cameras. Just because you have a digital camera in your hand doesn't mean that you let the rest of this stuff go. How, how much a part of it is the tactile craftsmanship to you of being a photographer? It's everything. Um, craftsmanship, uh, we live in um, a world of um, social media mediocrity, and uh, people decide that they want to do something and there's an app for it or there's a program for it or I dreamed I was a matador so I'm going to look at this matador app and I'm going to go become the best bullfighter in the world so I'm going to go in the ring with an old school bull and get smoked and get horned <laughs> you know and maybe after my fourth horning honing or horning uh, if I'm not dead I'll get good at it I call it skateboard education, you know, and, you know, there's a lot of broken uh, ligaments and, and sprain this and black and blue and face plants. And then they finally do the trick, which is great. I'm not taking anything away from that, but it's an art and a science and you got to do enough of the science so you can consistently produce your style. It's not luck, you know, uh, hard work. And, and, and um, learning the craft ends up being consistent luck. And we'll go to basketball with that. Uh, uh, Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, uh, who's the guy in Boston? Larry Bird. Yeah. The work ethic was amazing. Magic, Kobe. before school, yeah, before school, would scrape the snow off the outdoor court. His brother would bring him, his mother would give his brother breakfast to give him. He would practice before he went to school in the morning in Lansing, Michigan. That's Arctic cold. Jordan uh, learned that it's not enough just to be good. He worked out, built his muscles up, so when they start following him, he could take the hit and keep playing. And if I'm not mistaken, he was cut from his high school basketball team. 
Yeah. And he got he didn't quit. He got ticked off and started becoming the Michael Jordan that we all yeah. we all know. You know, you 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 do the rest of the guys are watching you do something that looks boring. They're just like laughing and giggling, and then next time you get in a league game, they get handed their ass uh, because you remember all the stuff you practice. You don't have to think about it. So the work that you do is most of what you're creating is created for yourself. These yes. are projects that you've dreamed up and that you've gone gone after. Yes. You have one in particular. Is it called the cup? Yeah, coffee cups. I. You've got a. I mean, behind me is a row of uh, God knows how many. I've got a bunch a of cups that I've collected and and then uh, basically just stolen from all over the world. <laughs> now let me let me give people uh, an example of the insanity here. So you've got. Uh, you, these coffee cups, he travels all over the world. You take these cups with you. I take one cup in particular. One cup in particular. Then you photograph it, okay, in all these different places. Then yeah. you come back to the States and you print pictures of that cup. Then you go back in the field. You travel back to Europe. You re-photograph those photographs, those, those, those actual, the actual print. Some of, sometimes, yes, yes. And then you mail it back to yourself. A copy of what you've printed yeah, uh, and mailed back. It, it's yeah. unbelievable the layers yeah. here of this stuff, and, yeah. and the pictures are from. Just name me some of the places where you photographed the same, the single cup. Oh, I've the cup's been in, in Holland, Spain, France, uh, Germany, um, just uh, yeah, wherever I uh, wherever I go. Yeah, and how um, many years have you been photographing that cup? The coffee cups has been since 1989, 1990. And the cup I started in, uh, I took this cup from a coffee house in Delft, Holland, and it travels with me every day in the seat of my Vespa. And when I get on a plane, it's in my carry-on bag, and it's a cup, a saucer, and spoon. It hasn't had coffee in it since the day I drank coffee out of it the one time. I just photograph it. And uh, I've had it in places where people go, you haven't broken that yet? And I'm going, no. And, and how would you describe the work you do. How do you describe your own work? If, if you don't know me and I run, you run into you on the street and I ask you what you do and you tell me you're a photographer, well, really, what kind of photographer I'd do say you open a dictionary and the word ubiquity and the Latin word is ubiquitous. And on my, my old school business card, underneath the little picture in tiny letters is the word ubiquitous. And it's the ability to be everywhere at the same time all the time. And I have fought to be able just to shoot everything. People would go, oh, we think you're good at this. It's not about that. It's, what if I can see everywhere and I can document what I see? Just because you can't see that particular thing doesn't mean I can't do it. So, my work, I call it ubiquitous. You're also, uh, you share the, the same sickness that I do, which is the, the sickness. Yeah, we have an autoimmune well, no, oh, I'll talk oh, about yeah, that yeah, in a no, second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we both had health issues as of, as of late. But yeah. um, you are a serial bookmaker, printmaker. Yeah. What's that about? Um, and then we'll get to the disease. The the thing, we're saving the good stuff to last. Yeah, the, the, the thing about photography, I started teaching, and I, I don't like the word teach. I like the word learn. If you're teaching somebody something, um, they're just trying to uh, fake you out like if you give them a test or a quiz, to make you think they know it. If they learn it, they understand it. So I try to help people understand. Someone who comes and takes a workshop from me, I don't want to teach you everything. I just want to help you get past one of your blocks so you walk away with one new thing. Um, 
I got my lost my train of thought. Prince. Books oh yeah. Prince. Okay, so the thing I tell people is, in the old days when you shot film, you got back a four by six print, and then you know people would take their time getting that done, but at least they had that. Uh, and it, you know, a lot of people would s- sit on rolls and rolls of film. Nowadays, people were using their digital cameras, and the pictures lived in the card. Now they use their phones. The pictures never leave the phone. They go on email. If you want to become better in photography, you need to print pictures, walk around with these prints, and look at them. And not on a screen. There's something about the print in your hand. Uh, I, I think it's about commitment. Because it's very easy to throw things around in the digital space. But when you, when you, look at, when you make decisions about what you're going to print... No one wants to blow money on prints they don't want. So it forces you to really focus on what it is you're doing and what you need and what works together. It helps you, makes you a better photographer, in my mind. It makes yeah. you edit more. It makes you sequence more, et cetera. It's, yeah, yeah I to, I'm in total agreement. I think the print, and it's also fun. I'm also a huge fan of less is more. Um, I, I never liked, I call it the, the Flickr syndrome. And in the old, early days of Flickr, People would go, hey, have you seen my new pictures on Flickr? And I was like, everything you shot in the last six years? Everything? I was like, oh, man. I said, I told one of my friends, I was like, you got to stop putting everything you shoot. I mean. Edit. Edit it out. You know, well, I don't know what's good. I was like, make prints. Throw them on the floor and look at them. Yeah, exactly. You know, like a deck of cards, you know, and get rid of the jokers and pare them down. But uh, I believe in printing um having a wet having a wet dark room still uh keeps me honest and understanding the digital side of output is very hard for people people can't tell the difference between my digital black and white and my wet print well that's one of the it's a very interesting point because when i talk to you about digital printing which i am both a big fan of and and not so much a fan of but whenever you describe to me what you're doing digitally it's always come from hey you're gonna dan you're gonna love this because it is a reflection of what you did in the dark room and this is how you're using the digital technology to really not you're not compromised you're basically getting what you need because you have it's like the other perfect example being where we are in hollywood with all the retouching that goes on the best retouchers are the guys who started in analog retouching they're the the real masters of the digital of the digital retouching because they know when to stop now, you said something, we're, we're getting close to the end here. You said something the other day that really uh, struck me when I called you to see if I could come by to shoot. Um, you were talking about uh, uh, an il- illness that you had, and I was talking about an illness that I had, which yeah. I have right now. And so we were both you know, lamenting this, this history that we've had. And you said, yeah, but you know what? It really, it sorted some things out for me because it made me look at the world in a different way. And I said, I absolutely agree. And so... You know, if you could give somebody a piece of advice in regards to what you've gone through in the past and what that did for you and allowed you to see in your photography and sort of look at the world in an artistic way, what what would it be? Um, I'm working on another body of work, and I want to make a, I want to keep it down to twenty or less images. Uh, and the line is, "What was no longer is." Uh, I woke up with something called myasthenia gravis, two words. It sounds like the bad aunt that comes to Thanksgiving dinner and pinches your cheeks. Basically, my immune system turned on 
and does not shut off. So I have too many white blood cells, which work havoc with my voluntary and involuntary muscles. So I'm tired all the time. Um, it If you don't get a hold of it and find a way to control it, um, it can kill you. It'll cause you to die from breathing, chewing, swallowing. I almost choked to death. I sneezed. My nose filled up. I didn't have the strength to clear my nose. And uh, I was choking to death in my dark room. Um, you don't have the strength to lift a glass of water. But if you're going to go, yeah, the go dark room is definitely the place to be. While you're printing and toning. Yeah, okay. Because That's want, like top three. You want to fall in a tray of brown toner. Or actually, I wanna, I'm already brown. I want to be selenium. <laughs> I've always wanted to be selenium. You know, if you're selenium, they don't need to embalm you at all. No. You're just pretty much preserved. No, no. and you know, um, yeah, it, 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 it has a great kind of lavender look to it. Now, you've got a serious scar down the middle of your chest. Yeah, the, the, the fix for me with this, this myasthenia gravis was when I collapsed the first time, I went to the hospital emergency room, no medical insurance. They gave me something called IVIG. It's a lab-grown medicine, four treatments. They were $16,000 each. Yikes. And I was in a hospital room for a week on an IV machine with this stuff, and it worked for about a week. And then I start going downhill again. And they checked. This was uh, the day after Christmas. I got checked out. And so in between Christmas of 2003, New Year's Day, I went. Some friends came by. took two people to get me up, walk me to a car to go see Bad Santa. Oh, and totally great reason it to was get out a of the great, hospital. I mean, I could barely walk. I could barely hold my head up. Uh, my friends knew I never went anywhere. Or, by the way, I made them bring my Hasselblads to me in the hospital. So I had these Hasselblads in the hospital. I could barely hold them, and I was taking pictures in the hospital. So we snuck my Hasselblads into the movie theater because I didn't want to leave them in the car. And Smart. <laughs> they knew I liked coffee, so they took me to a coffee house, sat me in front of a, a latte, and I stared at it because my throat wasn't working and I couldn't drink it. Oh. It was the best fucking day I've ever had in my life. <laughs> but... Um, they they had to do a procedure. They they scan your chest, getting back on track, and they saw my thymus gland, which is supposed to be dormant, it come back to life again, because it had two tumors in it, and it was pumping as many white blood cells as the medicine was canceling, and so they said, "Time to go." No, neurologist said, "You need to get this out," and he says, "Don't worry about it. I'll figure something out." And I was thinking to myself, "Surgery? I can't pay for any of this stuff anyway." So a week later in the hospital, this really cool dude comes in. He goes, hey, my name is Wayne Hofstetter. I'm the, uh, I teach uh, thoracic surgery at UCLA School of Heart Surgery. And you got a bad thymus gland. I want to know if you let me take it out. And I was like, mm, what, does, sure. yeah, what does this involve? He goes, well, two things. We can do the, uh, the, 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 the small the insertion and they root around for it. And he says... I don't like that. He says, I want to know, I got to crack your, he says, it's like open heart surgery, basically. Crack you open. We crack you open, split you down the middle, root around inside, get it all out, dice it up, and it's gone. What do you think? And I was like, uh, I said, so what are my chances? He goes, I can't guarantee anything, but you're probably better off than you are now. And I knew yeah. anything's better than what I was. And so I said, do it. So I just kept me in the hospital for a week. And uh, February of 2004, 
like the second. They wheeled me in, knocked me out, rooted me out, and... Um, and now you're here. I'm here, and I've been... Um, the thing about my senior graduates is you don't know unless I tell you, and I'm a very good actor. If I have something to do, it's important, I can get it done. Um, I have, uh, I take lots of medicine every day. Uh, I think wonderfully dirty, clean thoughts, do a lot of laughing. Uh, I truly live a delusion, illusion-free life at this point. Um, it's just about I'm happy to wake up every day. And well, I can say for uh, with certainty, you, you, you are truly an interesting guy <laughs> to hang out with. You have a, a, a very unique sort of, uh, I'm not going to use the, uh, the skill set terminology because it's such a cliche these days, but you have a very interesting background. Your work is very unique. It's whimsical, but themed, and there's a lot of meaning behind it. And I think um, from what we talked about from a couple of days ago, and I, I was... Uh, basically relaying to you that I have kind of feel the same way now after eight, being sick for eight months. Yeah. But it makes you uh, reconsider things. And uh, you kind of realize that you don't have a, a lot of time for the BS that can sort of creep into the daily daily life. But I just wanted to say thanks. We, uh, we set a record for length of interview so far in my experience. And uh, I'm sure we're going to do this again because uh, there's too much we haven't been able to cover in regards to photography, music, which we didn't even touch on, yeah, uh, and a multitude of other things. So for today, I appreciate your time. Thanks for being with us, and I'm sure um, we'll see you again in the near future. Oh, it was great, man. Thanks.